0: to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis, and I'm the host of the podcast, and I am excited about today's guest. I've gone into that research field, and I've got Aish Ravi on the line today. Thanks for coming in, Aish. No,
1: thanks for having me. Pleasure um, to be
0: here. It was a bit of a random... Call on Twitter just to say, um, come and have a chat to me, which I thought was good of you to, to um, accept a, a chat from some strange guy on, on social media. <laughs> but your, your stuff online piqued my interest, and um, it just some of the stuff that you're putting out there on socials is, is really cool. And some you've got some pretty cool sites out there. But for those that don't know you, can you give us a bit of a brief background of you?
1: Yep, yeah, so my name's Aish Ravi. Uh, I'm a football coach, um, but I'm also a teacher by trade. So I teach secondary school students, um, economics and business management uh, at high school. Uh, but more recently, I've been uh, gone into completing my PhD full-time and um, I'm also teaching at university as well um, in the coaching and also like tech uh, education space. Um, And I'm also the co-founder of the Women's Coaching Association. So I'm taking a lot of what I'm, uh, you know, researching about um, in in my PhD, I'm trying to understand why there's a lack of women coaches and trying to see what strategies we can devise to improve um, that space where we can one day see equal representation of, you know, men and women coaching at all levels. Um, so that's really the, uh, what's motivated, uh, you know, me to start the Women's Coaching Association and, um, yeah, hopefully we can in the near future see more women coaching at all levels in
0: all sports. It, it is it's such a a significant gap in that space, isn't it? It's just crazy that there should be, um, like, even in w- – women's sport, they still seem to have guy coaches. It just doesn't make any common sense to me. You just would think that if it's a female sport, they would have female coaches, but you just don't, don't seem to see it. And um, we can certainly go down that path as we chat through, but it's just crazy that we just don't seem to have that that sameness in coaches. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it is It is crazy. Um, you know, myself growing up, I never really had, uh, like had one uh, female coach uh, and the rest were men. Um, it would have been great to have, I guess, uh, you know, had them, I, I guess, normalised to see women as coaches. But whenever you do see a, a woman coach, um, it's sometimes it's, it's a surprise pack. And I probably didn't understand that growing up um, playing and participating in sport. But being a coach, um, you definitely notice it when you're, you know, once, one amongst very few women. Um, in the in this space you definitely feel uh, like you know wow where, where, where are the women
0: so talk to me about growing up playing sport obviously you've you've had a playing um, you've had playing experiences as well in different sports I can see a cricket bat in the corner of the room behind you in there and you've played a few different sports growing up talk me uh, talk me through what sport was like for you growing up
1: yeah so uh, sport for me um, growing up one of the main things um, I guess uh, facilitators for me getting involved in sport was really school, um, so it was those P classes and the school sports setting that really um, sparked my interest in sport, and also it was the, pl- the the place where I learnt a lot of my skills um, in terms of catching, kicking, throwing, um, even running. My love for running is uh, that's where um, my you know my interest in sport started was in that school sports setting. So growing up, I, within the school sports setting, I very much enjoyed, loved, like I loved playing cricket, um, running. I very much was I was a long-distance runner. Um, so, you know, you did a lot crazy of crazy doing oh.
0: stuff like that. you kill yourself doing that <laughs> kind of stuff, that training.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, now a lot of what I've learned growing up in those sports, so football was one of the sports, so soccer was something I was really passionate about. I never really had much of a chance to play footy um, as a child. I guess that wasn't really a thing that we could do. At that time, but now um, I feel like I'm really living my childhood now, um, as I feel like I've really been able to strike the balance of uh, time. So, you know, academically going up, academically was the main priority. Like, you know, it was sport was one of the lower lower priorities. Um, so now that you know, I've, I'm I feel like I have a more balanced life and feel like I'm living my childhood now. So I currently play footy for MCC Football Club as a rover. And um, I play cricket for Cluding Cricket Club. So I'm a fast bowler and batter. And um, I coach and play. Um, so I coach senior women at uh, Bentley Cobras. And um, I've been the last couple of seasons been a goalkeeper replacement, as well as the on-field uh, rare sub. As you know, with the pandemic, we've had, you know, just various injuries on our team. So I've been very fortunate that being a, a female coach, I've you know, I I can sometimes just sub myself in if the team really needs me. So um, yeah, and just recently I've I've uh, during the pandemic been really interested in in triathlons. So oh, wow. um, completed a uh, uh, seventy point three um, Ironman and also number of uh, sprint tries and Olympic distance tries. So yeah, COVID has definitely you know just reignited my passion and love for running, and. I've added cycling and swimming
0: to the mix too. Wow, super fit! (laughs) And I can just picture the training sessions that you would have to go through to get fit enough to do that type of stuff. That, um, yeah, that's just it's extraordinary to be able to do that kind of training. Again, what possessed you to decide? Okay, I've gone from playing essentially team sport at a certain period of time to go and. Doing triathlons, that's just, that's a, that just blows my mind.
1: Lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> that's what did it to me. So, um, yeah, just spending. I mean, it was difficult um, being in lockdown, you know, but having pretty much team, team sport was a large part of my life. It still is. But during, um, I guess, the, the midst of lockdown, you know, community sport was shut. Um, so I didn't really have that team sport um, environment as an outlet. So really just starts where I started had to do things on my own. So that's where the running, the cycling, the swimming and through doing those things individually, I met um, some like-minded people who were also interested in those same activities. And, you know, now we've got pretty much a team of our own um, that really trained together um, in those, all those, uh, you know, individual pursuits.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Now, you said that you got involved with sports through school to start with. Um, obviously, that that's great. You can get in, involved in, It's a pretty safe space as a general rule. Um, then you obviously would have jumped into club land, I'm assuming, to continue that sport. Um, what are some of the challenges you face jumping into, into club land to play your sports?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, like, you know, my background's Indian. So, you know, growing, growing up, you know, academics took main priority. So as I mentioned, school was actually my really only outlet to play and learn those skills. I would have loved to have gone to a club, um, but it really wasn't an option. Um, and I'm not sure. Um, even now, th- this is one of the things that I'm really interested about in my research: is trying to understand why there's a lack of diversity within sports clubs. Because you know, people like myself weren't really uh, well. One didn't, weren't really uh, you know in these sports clubs at a young age. And even now, um, as a coach, as an administrator, um, and even as a player in, in these club settings, I'm one of, you know, well, sometimes I'm the only one or one of few um, you know, women of color in these communities. Um, and it's very rare to see and cu- culturally and linguistically diverse women. Um, so we have one issue in sport where there's, yes, there's a lack of women coaches and leaders uh, within these clubs. But I think there's also another issue where there's a lack of di- like cultural and linguistically diverse participants uh, within these clubs. So, so for me, it was a challenge entering that setting, you know, growing up. Um, and like I said, only now, um, you know, in my 30s am I really living out my childhood dream of being a part of these clubs as that really wasn't a, an opportunity uh, growing up.
0: I'm curious if that changes based on the sport. Like, obviously, f- soccer, um, you, you've generally got a different type of person playing, playing those sports as opposed to Australian Bills football. Um, did you find any challenges coming into Australian Bills football um, instead of soccer, for example?
1: Yeah, so Brent, I mean, for me, I'm always, um, you know, the underdog in many of these settings. So going into these settings, you definitely
0: uh, like, you know,
1: people just blatantly ask, you know, and or if they don't ask, they give you those stares as to, you know, what are you doing in this environment? Um, like, are you lost? Um, I've, I've had comments like Indians don't play in the World Cup. So therefore, because they're not represented in the World Cup, they probably shouldn't be playing or being involved in, you know, soccer and football. So, you know, like I said, that's why representation is really important and we need to improve this. We need to make sure that there's equal representations of various cultures in all these settings. Um, but in saying that, you know, I love proving people wrong. So one of those trophies back there is I've recently won uh, yeah, as a rover at my uh, uh, footy club um, top goal kicker, so highest goal scorer. Um, so I love proving people wrong. Uh, Cricket also uh, won, you know, number took the most amount of wickets um, in the season. Uh, But cricket is probably those settings where people expect me to be good. So, because of, you know, of my background of being Indian, they think, oh, okay, she she must be good. So, that's probably the only sport out of the sports that I've mentioned where I walk into that environment and they actually expect me to be good. So, fortunately, I can have some ability in that sport um, to match (laughs) those expectations. But yeah, in in sports like soccer, in in footy, um, and even in golf, um, I definitely say I'm you know I'm always having to prove people uh, to that you know that I can play, I can kick a ball, and I can hit a ball, um, and you know pe- people that look like me can you know do do belong here. So um, yeah, it's
0: a challenging space, and it seems like we've got still got a long way to go with regards to improving that club. Based environment for, for people in general, um, whether it's males, females, but there is, there is issues still there. Is there any positives that you've found getting into Clubland? Is, is there some things that you've seen that have evolved over time and changed and improved? Are we doing some things right?
1: Look, I mean, Clubland is special. So in, in saying, you know, that I, there are some challenges, and there's a lot of areas improvement, but, you know, I think it's really important to make sure people have as much access as possible to be a part of a club you know the people within clubs are special and you don't really get those uh that relationships those relationships those connections and that tight-knit family um in in many other places so the people that i've met in in footy in cricket in in soccer even in golf um you know they're like my extended family so um i think you don't get that really anywhere else. So um, I think yeah, clubs are a special place. They have um, great facilities. Sometimes they have great people. Uh, they have great programs. So social events as well as that you know competition element. So um, yeah, clubs are definitely special places. And I've always um, in, in during the pandemic it made me reflect because. You know usually when we're training in that like 6 p.m. to like you know 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. time slot in the evenings it's magic you know we're very fortunate that we're, we're outside we're running around and we get to often see the sunset so sometimes the sky turns pink you know orange you see the full moon you see the stars you see things that you probably, if you weren't part of that club setting, you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Like, you know, I probably would have been at home watching some form of trashy TV. So, <laughs> you know, I think that is really the the true, uh, you know, magic and, you know, special thing about being part of a club. So... Yeah, that's what I love about it. <laughs>
0: really cool. I like that a lot. Um, as, as, as a player growing up in sport, what kind of things helped you improve and continue to work? So if, if there's coaches out there that are tuning to the podcast that are keen for some strategies to help women stay involved with sport and continue to improve and, and attach to the sport, what things worked f- for you as a player?
1: Yeah, so for, for me as a player, I'd say making it fun you know, was probably the most important thing. If, it, if training drills and, you know, activities and that environment, if it wasn't fun, I probably wouldn't be going back. Um, and just, you know, I think it's really important for coaches to understand there's a very low percentage of athletes that go on to be elite athletes. Um, so, you know, try really take that into account when you're structuring your sessions and even, you know, how you're communicating with your players because um, I do think that sometimes some coaches can you know put some added pressure onto onto players and perhaps you know aspire or want all of their athletes to be like you know Sam Kerr or Ronaldo um so when the reality is that very few of us are probably going to get to that level um so making it you know competitive but more so fun I think yeah making it fun is the is a key to you know the to getting more women to participate, and um, women and girls to participate in sport and to keep them into sport. And, and that, when I look back in terms of my memories, I remember that fun, those fun training sessions.
0: It's important to understand that. And people that have tuned into the podcast the last few weeks, we've kind of had this same conversation a few times now, which is really cool. But it's again, we're as coaches, especially in that junior space, we're not divided developing the next superstar. We're developing the players that are going to be playing the sport for the next 10, 15, 20 years, be the (sighs) volunteers that help out of the club and continue to grow that community-based sport. And I think it's important that we set it up. That way, as you said, to keep it fun, keep it enjoyable, keep those people coming back and playing again. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's important to uh, keep sight of that fact that we aren't building the next superstar as a general rule. You're trying to keep those players coming back. So, Yeah,
1: really and, and cool. that, that may even mean like rethinking sport. You know, currently we're basing sport off of a lot of these models that have existed for like the last, you know, 100-odd years. Um, so perhaps rethinking how sport is, you know, uh, you know playing out is, um, in, in these community settings is really important. So we see a lot of social forms of sport now coming up which are really popular uh, where there isn't a high emphasis on the score um, and there isn't really a ladder and it's, you know, not as, uh, it doesn't require a lot of, you know, commitment from players. So it's usually like, you know, uh, pay-as-you-play sorts of arrangements Um, or even just fun, like social events. So that golf event that I went to a few weeks ago, we played Ambrose, you know, and that made it so much fun because the pressure of us, you know, losing a ball or potentially, you know, taking 10 million shots on a hole, it really wasn't, it didn't really matter. Um, We were all just having fun. We got to play on, you know, an awesome uh, golf course, and we actually did quite well um, considering that there wasn't that pressure to win or to you know, f- finish in a certain amount of time. So I think that's what makes sport fun.
0: That's cool. As I said, you, you had, a, we had a quick chat offline about your golf experience, and you had a chance to play Peninsula Kingswood, which is a pretty awesome golf track. And a few recent podcast uh, people have been on, were down there that day. I saw Cat Dodgers post some stuff on social media, and a few other coaches have had on the podcast recently. So um, it, it appeared to be a really fun day. So yeah, yeah it
1: was. Chance it was. to be out <laughs> in
0: the sunshine on a great <laughs> golf course with some, with some helpful coaches down there. Sounds like a, a pretty awesome experience. It was. <laughs> now, I've asked this question of a few women coaches we've had on the show recently about them growing up in sport. Um, I'm curious to get your take on it as well because you're coming at it more from a team point of view. Um, obviously, I asked them what works for them as a player coming through and w- where there was a challenge being the only female, so to speak, on the golf course, which tends to happen in golf. You tend to be only a couple of junior girls as opposed to the 20, 30, 40 junior boys in the club. Um, I'm guessing you played some sort of boys and girls combined soccer and team sport early on and then had to make the switch to the all-girls team. How was that as a challenge early on?
1: Yeah, so um, like I said, like, you know, for me, a lot of my experiences are from that school sports setting. But, yeah, you know, predominantly playing, you know, mixed environments, uh, then going into like a you know single sex environment um that I mean for me I found I found the transition you know g- g- great uh, in the sense that um yeah like it was quite competitive and then going into I guess a, like a semi uh like competitive environment in women and girls so I when I returned to play after school um we was in a senior women's team um so I was you know you know, fortunate enough in terms of the play, the standard of play, uh, the barriers, uh, you know, weren't really like different or, you know, weren't um, large. But in terms of barriers, I'd say the main barriers would be like, you know, the other things like uniforms. Um, Often, you know, going into some of these sports settings, you know, there's not really, you know, you go from playing in like a a co-ed environment to then a single-sex environment and there being like unisex uniforms, which are just, Sometimes large men's shirts or, you know, just different size men's shirts. So um, I think that, you know, it's not comfortable playing in as a being a woman, um, you know, wearing all these, you know, baggy attire. Um, so I think it's definitely important um, to make sure like now, uh, nowadays, we see clubs really place high importance on, you know, what women want to wear. Um so, you know, ha- and have, you know, clothes that are actually, you know, well fitted towards for them and that they feel comfortable playing in. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I remember playing in like baggy, uh, you know, tops, shorts, uh, to the point sometimes you just end up falling over because they're so big, even though you've ordered like the smallest possible size. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important that they have, you know, comfortable um yeah, uh, uniforms, um, but also have change rooms, environments and spaces um, and equipment that all are, you know, catered for women. So even though now we're seeing an increase in the number of female-friendly change rooms, which is fantastic, in those change rooms, we still have a lot of, uh, you know, men's trophies or images. Um, and even in the canteen, often the beverages are very much catered to certain people Um, and not others so when we think about you know wanting sport to be inclusive i think we should really think about you know who's visible in these spaces uh you know who's in terms of the food that we're offering who does it benefit who does not who does it not um because i think if we truly want to be inclusive and have equal participation of all abilities genders races sexes um it's important. We think we take into consideration all these things when you know clubs are making decisions.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. Again, common sense, but it's um, it isn't quite so common out there these days, which is, which is crazy. But hopefully, it's um, it's changing. Hopefully, it's a changing space. Okay, so we've talked about you as a player. Let's give it out out of that space now. Let's get into let's get into some coaching. What was the the thought process behind getting into coaching? What was the the idea behind that?
1: Yeah, so uh, again, the school uh, played an integral part. So when I was a teacher, so I worked um, at an APS school, and um, it was compulsory, really, or you know that we, as a teacher we had to take on board a co-curricular activity, and that activity for me was you know soccer, football. So, um, so I uh, yeah coached our school's uh, you know first eleven team at the time. And they, uh, I was very fortunate that they invested in my first, like you know, license qualification. So in uh, football, it's the C license. So that's really how my coaching journey begun. Is you know through coaching in the school sports system, and then you know going on into this uh, you know external environment to complete this coaching qualification. In that course, I met some you know awesome people that then provided opportunities for me to coach outside of the school sports setting. So then, you know, I coached in the National Premier League. Uh, you know, one of the National Premier League clubs in Melbourne. Um, started off coaching juniors, and then worked my way up to coaching a senior team in community, yeah, uh, you know, community club that's nearby. So, yeah, that's really how my um, my coaching journey started. And and then from there, a lot of opportunities, uh, you know, eventuated, and including coaching the you know the Team Vic team um, at a few national championships. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of opportunities have come about from just that one opportunity to school, coach a school sport team. So,
0: yeah. No, that's that, <laughs> yeah, is cool. You, you've probably started in the hardest coaching in, in environment ever. High school kids is um like I've been involved with high school kids sport and um, obviously they're swinging golf clubs around when I'm going in there as well. So it's not the safest spot in the world to be coaching high school kids. But high school kids can be a real challenge to, to coach. So you probably stepped into the hardest environment straight up, which, again, obviously having teaching skills, that would have, would have helped with that. But um, yeah. it's certainly a challenging space to, to cut your teeth as a coach.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, like I said, pain, being a teacher definitely helped um, as, you know, they often have a certain level of respect where they know who you are. So, um, yeah, and, and a lot of teaching and c- coaching, a lot of the skill, skills are, you know, transferable. Um, so, I, I like to think that a lot of the best coaches actually, you know, and and we know that a lot of them are actually teachers or they have some form of background with, you know, teaching. Um, so, I think, yeah, being a teacher has definitely helped me, uh, you know, one, pick up a lot of the skills that are required to be a good coach, but also progress as a coach as well.
0: Now, I've been thrown in to coach my son's junior s- s- soccer team last season. Oh, wow. so um i'll be coming to you to pick your brain for some advice on how to coach those kids and that was that was that was fun i said i obviously i've coached kids in in sport forever but um to be involved with his afl and his soccer teams the last last season was was fun but what is you said you've coached junior sports all the way through to senior sports is there any changes to the coaching style or coaching strategies between juniors and senior players
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, as a coach, coaching in juniors, um, it's really important that the players aren't, to understand that your players aren't your only like stakeholder in many ways. You've got the parents. I often think that the parents are probably a bit more challenging than the players themselves. Um, So it's really important as a junior coach to be able to communicate, you know, your vision, uh, your plans um, to not only your players, um, but also to you know, the parents and the community um, because when you've got that cohesion, it makes the coaching on the field with those junior players so much, uh, you know, easier. Whereas with senior players, um, yeah, the, the main relationships were with them. So, you know, it's really important as a coach that I fostered, uh, you know, for me, I like to foster an environment where that's built on trust, that's built on communication, respect, you know, care. Um, so I show a lot of care in how I coach my players, and make a conscious effort to get to know them individually. Um, and I think once you build that, you know that uh, that uh, that respect uh, and that relationship, it makes you know coaching anything and uh, like you know somewhat like you know like it flows really easily. So um,
0: yeah, I'm curious how. And it's a question that I ask all everyone's involved with junior sport. How do you deal with the parents? Now they can be they can be your your greatest asset or your largest problem, depending on how you set it up with them early on. So how do you deal with the parents?
1: Yeah. So I mean, again, I just made sure I, I built a relationship with them. So I got to know who the parents were, um, who their you know their children were on the team. Um, and I think just spending a little bit of, like I always used to get to my training sessions well in advance, like in time-wise, used to set up but then allow about 20 minutes before the session just to talk to the parents that were coming to the training session who'd come early um, and just build that relationship with them because I think once they know who you are and that, you know, what your aims, your intent, you know, what what it is, like, you know, that, you're, that you are organised, that you possibly do have a plan, you do genuinely care about their, um, their, you know, their um, their children. So they once they know, it's like, yep, it, they're not going to be like, you know, uh, nagging parents often that, uh, you know, probably just question what you're doing, why you're doing it, uh, questioning your decisions. I often felt that the parents, once they got to know you, um, yeah, they just kind of let you just do your job. So and I'd also stay back after training sessions as well and try and build that relationship with, with them after that. But also communicate with the committee and the other people in the club. So make it very clear to them that you need their support. So if anything ever did escalate, that you've got the full backing of the, com- the committee uh, and the club. But, yeah, I just felt like the, those relationships that a coach can build with those parents um, and just taking that extra time to make sure that you develop those relationships, especially early on in the season, can go a long way in just making sure that your you know your season runs more smoothly. So,
0: completely agree. It's, it's important to set up those 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 key stakeholders as your your helpers as opposed to people that can cause problems. And um, obviously, it's parents early on when you're coaching kids, but then it becomes the whole club, doesn't it? You've got to keep the the committee on side.
1: Yep. And often, you know, those parents that when you just get to invest in them, they actually help you. So often, you know, after training, they'll help you pack up or perhaps even just get there and, you know, you can brainstorm some things with them. But even they become helpers on game day um, and they, you know, want to help genuinely, like, you know, the team and the club. And we all know that community sport in particular would not function without volunteers. So... That's another really good reason as to why coaches should really engage with uh, parents in junior sport, because you know, sport would not be there without a lot of volunteers. So um, yeah, it's important that we build those those relationships and we get everyone on board to help.
0: Makes so much sense. It does. It makes so much sense, but yeah, it's a challenging space. Now, I'm curious, when I get a, a team sport coach on the podcast, I'm always interested to know how you handle that, that group type situation. I'm coming from a traditionally one-on-one coaching environment where I've got a single client in front of me. Um, I do do some group coaching as well, but how do you cope with that so I suppose when you're coaching senior sides, probably 20-odd players in front of you at any given time. How do you cope with that that group type setting?
1: Oh, I, I love it. I love it. And I think, again, uh, being a teacher certainly helps. So in terms of, like, my philosophy, um, I like to make sure that, you know, my players, my students have voice. Um, so I definitely communicate what my objectives are, but then I let them and, and I give options to these players as to what part they want to play in that plan and often when you give uh, players agency to to have that choice um, and again, to be able to, you know, give them the confidence to communicate back to you. It, you know, a lot of the sessions that I run, you know, do run smoothly because again, you've built that respect, you've built that connection and all players, regardless of their ability or, you know, role in the team, feel like they have accomplished something at each session uh, because they have a say. So. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. Again, that communication I think is really key. For
0: yeah, it, again, it is important, and obviously simpler for me as a golf coach because I've got that one person. And if they don't understand what I'm saying to them, you can kind of see it on their face straight away. So, some strategies. How do how do you deal with those 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 guys that kind of hide behind everyone else and they don't quite get what, you, what you're coaching or get the information you're getting across. They don't seem to understand it. How do you pick up and be sure that those players still have a voice in that in that communication area?
1: Yep. So I think every team would probably have a few of those players. Uh, I do tend to just um, aren't probably as vocal. Um, but, again, um, for me, I notice some of those players that often may, you know, uh, not really speak up, not be as vocal that I do myself along with uh, like with my, myself as a coach but also the leadership team to make sure that we you know connect with those players um so again just ask them questions as to you know whether they understand the activity uh, and then ask some questions as to you know perhaps what what position or role that they could be you know playing in this activity and again once you engage with them and you ask some questions they problem solve So, you know, I think that's really important as a coach, trying to allow your players, um, you know, give them the time and the opportunity to problem solve, Um, as I think a lot of the traditional approaches to coaching are very, like, you know, robotic in the sense that, you know, players are often told where to go, where how to move, what to do, what not to do. But I think it's really important to, especially, you know, youth moving into senior you allow enough time and opportunity for these players to actually think, uh, problem solve. So whether they're really like those vocal confident ones but also the ones like you're probably shying out in the back, um, you know, give them all the opportunity to, uh, you know, demonstrate what they know. Um, So I think once they feel like they've got that opportunity, they're definitely more participate, they participate in all the activities uh, a lot better.
0: Coaching certainly changing. It's come up in the podcast uh, the last few weeks a lot recently about how people learn, and that problem-solving type of coaching is certainly becoming more and more prevalent these days. And it's very hard as a coach sometimes to, to sit back and allow the, the players to learn for themselves. It can be challenging to not give them the answer, so to speak. But as you said, if they take that, that ownership of what they're learning and take it on board themselves, it seems to stick a lot better as a, as a, as a player. When they're getting coached that way so it's, it's a cool it's a cool way to coach
1: and and also like you know coaches can do a lot nowadays there's so many uh like resources available for coaches so for myself i um, devise an individual development like playing plan for my players so then they know at the beginning uh, of a season middle of a season and end of the season you know what their goals are um they help develop this program so you know, they have their objectives, they've set their goals, they know what their strengths and weaknesses are, and when they've got that purpose there, that makes, you know, that that really uh, motivates them to achieve their goals, their objectives. So that definitely sets the tone for most of the training sessions because they all know why they're there and what they want to achieve.
0: Is that a template you've set up? personally or you've got it from somewhere or you've gone i'm assuming you you sit down with each player and go through it with them is that something you've built um personally or you've got, got it from somewhere else or where do you source yeah. that
1: so i did uh develop it um again probably coming from my teaching background because i was like you know i do this with my students in a classroom and it helps them you know to really focus in class so i felt like you know you know uh for me, uh, you know, a pitch, a sort of the soccer pitch is like a classroom in a hot oven in the sense you don't have your four walls. <laughs> so you, um, I feel like it's really important for coaches to just be organised and well prepared. So I developed this, uh, you know, template um, that I then set, made some time at the start of each season to go through with each player, uh, fill out that individual yeah player development plan, and we reviewed it uh, in the middle of the season and also at the end of the season as well. Um, and and that just gave them purpose, gave them uh, a goal to achieve, um, but also collectively as a team, it just meant that we're all working towards that, uh, you know, that that team goal.
0: So I like it. I like it a lot. Really, really, really cool ideas there, and I'll be stealing some of those ideas from my own coaching. But no, that's, that's really cool. Now, what actually did pique my interest the most when I was uh, when I found you on social media was the Women's Coaching Association that you've set up. So, um, really cool idea. Talk me through how that came about and what the goals are.
1: Yeah, so the Women's Coaching Association, uh, you know, was founded in 2019, uh, so by myself and uh, Julia Hay, who's also another, like, she's a coach herself. Um, And we uh, met at university, so at Monash University, we are both studying a PhD and we were just wondering where, like, we were sharing our experiences uh, over a cup of coffee and we were just Right, trying to understand like what was really like common was where are the women coaches so in all of our experiences and in all of our um settings we were the like only coaches so we wanted to do something about this and that's how the women's coaching association was founded was on the uh premise that we wanted to um, empower um educate uh, people educate empower people uh, especially you know young girls and women to coach but also educate communities um to as to what the barriers are for women to you know, get into coaching and also to understand what we can do to support uh, women and girls to coach. Um, so that's the main idea behind the Women's Coaching Association and um, we're also promoting the good news stories about women's coaches uh, globally in all sports as well.
0: Yeah, that's it's just such a really cool idea, and it's just um, because it is harder for women to get involved with coaching, and there is there is things in the way. So, um, having someone working for you to help you make those steps towards uh, becoming becoming a coach is 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 extremely powerful. So. They just the work behind setting that association up must have been massive. We just picture all the work you did behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, so so there was a lot of uh, work involved in setting up the association, as you know, it's like setting up uh, any business. Um, and we're working towards just like changing the structure at the moment to make sure, uh, again, like learning a lot on the go as to you know just what we can do to keep this association sustainable. Um, and. Yeah, so at the moment, uh, Jules has actually stepped aside. She's returning to full-time teaching. So um, that's one of the challenges of the Women's Coaching Association. It is definitely a, a long game. Um, and us, like pretty much starting association association off our own backs, uh, investing our own money into this association, um, you know, pretty much setting up the website on our own um, and, you know, bringing on board a lot of people uh, to help us like achieve a lot of these objectives in the sense like de- delivering educational webinars, uh, making sure that we're de- developing resources, liaising with various sporting bodies. It takes a lot of time. And, and right now, uh, you know, one of the issues with sport is a lot of sport organisations actually aren't investing um, a lot into women coaches um, or even into specific women and girls' strategies. So now we're seeing some sports do that. Um, But we've still got a lot of other sports to ensure that they do do that. And I hope in the future a lot of these uh, sport organisations do engage with, you know, the Women's Coaching Association and, um, you know, perhaps, you know, fund it in some way, uh, shape or form. Because right now I think a lot of people think that we're the main peak sporting body when really we're a start-up. That's been run by passionate women coaches and male uh, champions, Um, and we're wanting to make change. Um, And we're doing this by, you know, making sure that a lot of the the resources we create are all backed by research. So you know, myself being uh, a researcher, uh, you know, have met some awesome. Uh, researchers, other researchers in various institutions around the country and globally that are all doing research in this space. Um, So one of the main keys of the Women's Coaching Association is to make sure that knowledge is transferable uh, and is translated to people in various sporting organisations so that they can actually use it um, within their clubs, within their organisations and make change.
0: Um, it, I'll have to get a few of those people onto my hit list for the podcast, so I'll have to get a couple of those names offline. Um, always keen to get good people on the podcast, so I'd be keen to hear that. You, is, you, A couple of roadblocks popped up in that answer there. So what are the roadblocks you're facing getting involved in this space and getting people to actually pay attention to what you're doing?
1: Well, I think, like, we've got a lot of people paying attention and a lot of people supporting us, but I think the main challenge is funding know what's going to fund this right now it's you know pretty much money out of my pocket and uh you know it was Jules pocket as well but you know really trying to understand what is going to fund an association like this there's a lot of need so within a um you know within a year we've uh almost got 4,000 you know followers across all of our platforms we have number of people contacting us uh via email um and via other social platforms wanting to know how they can get on board more women coaches. So there is a demand for something, an association like this. Um, And, you know, personally, I'd like to offer more services. So currently there's a lack of women coaching, but there's also lack of representation for coaches, um, especially women coaches. So, uh, you know, a lot of sport organisations say that, Players, all these players have now enterprise bargaining agreements. They all have, uh, you know, better uh, conditions. But what about the coaches? I think everyone often forgets about coaches. They don't really have, if they're getting underpaid, if they're not being treated well, where do they go? There's not really a a main association for them to actually go so that they can seek some support and uh, representation for their cases. Um, we know that some various like sports, like I know football, so I'm part of the executive committee at Football Coaches Australia, They one of their mission is to support football coaches. Uh, but again, they're also trying to do all this on their own. Um, but I think it's really important for these associations, if we want to succeed, sport organisations really need to start funding these associations so then they can, uh, you know, better support coaches And provide more services for coaches to feel well supported and succeed
0: hopefully word is getting out there and if there's a big corporate corporation shooting into the podcast we'd love to sponsor we i'm sure we can put you guys in touch and maybe get some get some funding for you guys but as i said like i hadn't been i hadn't come across you guys before until we had Melissa Ginevra on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was the one that put me onto that onto the social media handles of of this association and hopefully word is starting to spread and people are starting to understand what is going on out there in this space and we can get the support that you guys need to continue to grow um, and improve the area for women coaches and get them out there. So. And,
1: and, Brent, I think it's really important for everyone to understand that this is not a simple like one-size-fits-all like problem, like there's no solution, like one solution to this. It's a very complex problem. And I think like a lot of uh, people, a lot of organisations are like, oh, in order to get more women uh, coaches, let's just get more women. So, you know, ask them to come on board. But it's really important to understand women that are currently coaching or have coached what their challenges and barriers were. And we all collectively have to try and work together to break those barriers down before we just start attracting more. Because if you just start attracting more um, without fixing the blockages, we're going like to the same roadblocks. Into- yeah, 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 same roadblocks. So, yeah, it's a complex problem, and a lot of time, money, uh, and resources need to be invested in solving it.
0: Yeah, which obviously heads down towards where your PhD research is going. You're into that that space and and identifying the the problems that we're having and how we can break those down. Um, there's a YouTube clip floating around of your three minute thesis, which I, I found. I was having a having a read through that and just something simple as the f- fact that you were the head coach or you're the head coach and someone comes up and approaches the guy standing to the side as opposed to talking to you because that's what they assume, who, who they assume the head coach is. That must just piss you off, to, to put it bluntly. It must be really frustrating.
1: Oh, for sure, Um, in the sense that you're the coach. Like I've done my qualifications, uh, I've you know, I probably haven't got as many grey hairs or experience as some of my opposition coaches, but I'd like to say I've, you know, earned my you know, role as being a head coach. So it'd be nice to be recognised as that uh, by the umpires or opposition coaches, even opposition players. Um, so like I said, this is a, a problem. Everyone in our community just needs to understand why, you know, women coaches are important, that they are diverse. There's no, like, mould of how they look or how they behave, and, you know, we all need to get behind and support them to succeed. So acknowledging them for a start would be great. (laughs) You would think so.
0: (laughs) Again, common sense, but it isn't so common. But, again, just trying to break down those stereotypes and um, just, yeah, just crazy that people would just assume these days, you would think it would have changed by now. It's 2021, for goodness' sake. Or well, by the time this episode comes, it'll be 2022. You would think it would have would have changed by now, but obviously it hasn't. So, so talk me through the PhD research and where the project's at and how you've started it and the the progress that you that you've that you've um, that you have made so far. Talk me through that.
1: Yeah, so the PhD research is looking at, you know, football, so soccer, as that was my like, main sport. But a lot of the research findings can be uh, translated to other male-dominated sports and also various other sports as well. Um, so my research is really wanting to understand what uh, women coaches' experiences in particular are, you know, in coaching football. Um, and I'm also looking at their experiences uh, specifically in coach education, so as I mentioned, I've uh, you know undertaken my C license in football and also the B license, and yeah, you know, I was pretty much uh, I was on my C license as one of two coaches, and on my B license, I was the only like woman coach. So, uh, so yeah, so like like that. That I want to understand. So I know what my experiences are, but I'm really going into this research to try and understand what uh, everyone else's re- experiences are. So I've got a large sample, so one of the largest samples of data um, in this space uh, for of coaches from community all the way through to elite uh, football um, all around Australia. Um, and really my main, uh, like the, the the crux of the research is wanting to understand what their experiences are, what their barriers are um, in, in these spaces. And, you know, what I'm finding is there's a lot and the one main uh, challenge is this binary. The thing that we separate men and women and we classify what's acceptable for men and women is actually quite problematic. Um, as I'm, what I'm you know, starting to find is there's a lot of women more so that don't fit this binary. So, you know, when we think of, you know, women, we think about them, you know, possibly, you know, having, you know, they're like, you know, fitting with a lot of these feminine uh, characteristics. But there are a lot of women that perhaps don't. Uh, so it's ensuring, it, making sure that you know there is equal opportunity for you know all women and 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 men for that matter to succeed in, in these environments and not feel like they they don't fit in, uh, not be bullied, intimidated, harassed, um, or feel like they have to prove themselves um, because that's really exhausting um, and it can have it take a physical and uh, you know mental emotional toll on on coaches and that. Will eventually lead them to leaving that profession. So, you know, it's really important, um, yeah, that we really do one identify what their experiences and barriers are, and devise strategies to, you know, making sure that these environments are better and for all people.
0: So, how far down that research path are you? How, how far into the into the process are you at the moment?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, I'm in my final year, which is really exciting. Um, it's a long process. So I think, you know, PhDs, I probably um, underestimated how much work it took before starting the PhD. And I think a lot of like it is a lot of work. Um, so at the moment, I'm in my final year, which is exciting, but also quite daunting. as There's a lot of work to do. Um, I'm analyzing uh, a lot of my data at the moment. So trying to find out what the common themes are. Um, so that I can report on those findings. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm working on at the moment.
0: It's um yeah with we've, we've, the people that tune into the podcast all the time, we've got a, a exercise. F- Physiologist that comes in every every few weeks has a chat, and he's finalising his PhD at the moment. And again, he the, the work involves is just crazy. I can just imagine how much time it's taking taking you to do that, Com- combined with as you said teaching and coaching and doing everything else in there. It must um, do, you, do you actually have time to sleep or do anything else? It's crazy.
1: Oh, of course, always make time to sleep. But you know, my <laughs> motto is I'll sleep when I'm dead. so I feel like you know, life is a privilege. Um, I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can now uh, while I've got the energy and the drive because you never know what's around the corner.
0: Uh, that again, that's, it's just really, really cool. I, was, I can feel a, I feel a part two coming on at some stage. I think once you've once you've published and got it out there, and I think we can go through some of the findings. You touched on a few of the findings quickly there, which was really cool. But I think once we, you get it published and get it out there, I think we can get you back in for a part two and maybe fill in um, some of those gaps and give the, the people tuning in some strategies to improve this space. Yeah. Now looking forward to it. That'd be cool. So there is a few questions I like to throw to all the guests that come on the podcast, so I'm going to throw those at you if you don't mind now. So advice for coaches starting out, what advice would you give to someone starting out, whether it's in the community space or the, or the, or the higher standards, advice for coaches starting out?
1: Advice uh, I would say is, you know, for, for coaches starting out would be to see out try to see out the long game in coaching. Um, you know, I think – Often people want immediate or instant success, especially when you start off coaching. Uh, especially when you know our environments are based on like wins and losses. Um, but I would say just really stick to you know your values, your philosophy, and try just yes, see at the long game in the sense that you are going to have some bad training sessions, uh, or, pop- or not bad, but you know sessions that where you know you probably feel like you could have uh, done better. Games where you feel like you could have been a better coach, um, you could have made better decisions. Um, seasons where you, you probably feel like you could have done more. Um, but, you know, really just take each year as they come, each uh, you know training session as they come, and, and remember that this is a, a long game in the sense that, you know, coaches, you, you learn something every year, every training session, whether you think you are or not, you are and um, all of your experience will eventuate to something really amazing if you can stick it out. So try stick it out.
0: <laughs> it can be a challenging space for someone just starting out if they don't get the instant results, if they if something falls apart or something fails. It can be tough to have the confidence to continue down that path. Um, any strategies for someone like that who maybe has got their ideas and got their their philosophies in place, goes out, starts training, starts running sessions but it's not working straight away what strategies would you have for for that kind of coach to to continue going down that path
1: yeah um that's a great question i would say try find surround yourself by people that you admire and people that you watch coach or that you've experienced in the coaching session i think yep that's something i want to try embody and be like uh, or you know emulate some of the things that they do i think it's really important for all coaches to have mentors um, of people of various ages uh, you know genders sexualities uh, you know backgrounds so forth various sports I think it's really important for coaches to be able to talk to other coaches to bounce ideas off of them and also just like you said you know emotionally just detach or like you know talk to them about some of these sessions that perhaps haven't gone as well that have impacted on your confidence Um, it's really important to have that sounding board as a coach so um, I hope that you know in the future the Women's Coaching Association can have mentor programs like that where we can provide sounding boards for coaches uh, with you know with coaches from various sports where they can just talk to each other uh, brainstorm share ideas uh, you know emotionally just you know you know dump a lot of that energy onto someone else um so i think it's really important to have someone like mentors um people to talk to so i think if if you're a coach starting off try find that uh, find very many and invest in those relationships um so when you invest in those relationships uh they will pay off um as you know you'll, you'll be you know either friends for life you'll always have someone to rely on They'll possibly help you get, uh, you know, some coaching roles in the future. Um, So a lot of uh, opportunities and doors can open up from these, like, networks and these mentors.
0: Really cool advice. I can see myself as a young coach standing on the lesson tier giving a lesson and they, they weren't getting it and me panicking inside my head saying, what the hell am I going to do now? So um, I think it's important to have those people you can talk to after a session that hasn't worked how you thought it was going to work and go through it with them. So I like that advice. Really, really good advice there. Um, how about for young players out there? What advice have you got for them? So come at it from a, from a team sport perspective. Um, obviously, most of the the guests on the podcast so far been from the golf world. So young soccer players, young teams, team sports people, advice for them starting out?
1: Yeah, so, you know, coaching is a privilege um, and I think it's a really undervalued profession at times. Um, But it is a privilege to be a coach. So I, you know, really encourage as many players as possible to have a taste of coaching, you know, either while you're playing or shortly after your playing career, even if you're not playing, Um, you know and if you just love football or if you love sport and you feel like you want to coach you know don't hesitate get into coaching get in early see what it's like Um, again learn uh, but definitely give it a go because coaching is a privilege and it's really rewarding I know there's times where you know probably you feel like why would you ever want to be a coach but it's actually a rewarding career um, as you again get to make those connections with other players they look up to you often and, you know, you are in a position where you, you know, in a privileged position where you get to help other players grow, develop, learn new skills um, and make lifelong memories. So, um, yeah, I'd definitely say to all the players uh, in whatever sport you're a part of, definitely uh, give coaching a go.
0: You'd probably find they'd have a bit more respect for the coaches once they realise how hard it actually is to do. Yeah. they have a bit of a a crack at it as a player and they're still, if they're still playing and they try and coach, they might think, oh, okay, I'm going to be a bit more attentive to what the coach is saying because this is harder than I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah. And you learn so much. And like I said very early, um, the skills that you learn in coaching are transferable. So it's not time lost or time wasted. Um, often, you know, coaching involves uh, communication, teamwork, leadership, uh, you know, problem solving. All of these, uh, you know, skills and traits are desired in various industries. So, yeah, give coaching a go. <laughs> I
0: like it. I like it. Um, is there anything that you would change in your career journey so far? Anything that you would, if you had the chance to go back and, and tweak or change, is there anything that that you would do that to?
1: Is there anything I would tweak or change? Um, I think I've, like, done a lot in, you know, in the time that I've been on this planet. But, you know, I, I um, yeah, at the moment I just, I just want to keep doing more. Um, you know, I, I sometimes feel if there wasn't anything I was going to tweak or change is probably saying yes to more things. Oh, wow. um, I, I know a lot of people say you know oh, learn how to say no but I really feel like when um I think it was Richard Branson who once said this and he said say yes and learn how to figure it out later um so you know and they also say yeah, give a, a busy person work and it will get done so I feel like if I could have said uh yes to some more opportunities I would have learned more um and I would have grown more and um yeah I'm um, yeah I think that that's my only uh, thing I wish I could change is just the ability to say yes to more things.
0: <laughs> really, really cool answer, and I, that's I think that's the first time I've had that on the podcast. So I like that answer. That's um that's that really really cool. <laughs> um, where do you see yourself in five years' time?
1: In five years' time, I'd like to think I would have finished my PhD, um, and I'd like to be making a difference in in, in just in society broad uh, more broadly, but in sport. So uh, whether that's in football, uh, like soccer or footy or cricket, you know, to be honest, I'd like to make a difference in every single sport that there possibly is. Um, I'd like to find a way on how to do that. So, again, I don't know if that answer is realistic, but I'm really passionate about sport and coaching and participation. Um, so I really hope that I can make a difference um, in all these areas and preferably through the Women's Coaching Association if if that's uh Something that I can do. Um, I'd love to make the change through that, uh, but also learn from you know uh, working with people in various organisations. So
0: some pretty awesome goals there. So <laughs> I'll be keeping an eye on those as they progress through. So that's really cool. Uh, where do you go to continue your your learning and training? Is there any sources, podcasts, sites that you go to to learn more about coaching or improve yourself?
1: This podcast, of course.
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs>
1: Um, But yeah, I think, you know, being a um, like since I've started this PhD, um, it's definitely, you know, fostered newfound love of reading journal articles, as crazy as that sounds. So I learn a lot from reading others' research. Um, I learn a lot from listening to podcasts. Um, I learn a lot from just talking to people. And so, you know, I think, you know, the lived experience um, of people is sometimes the greatest form of knowledge. Um, and just listening to other people's experiences in these settings, um, I think I I sometimes gain a lot of insight and, you know, knowledge from that. So, yeah.
0: I love that. It it is and it it can be finding... The, the journal articles as you said it can be a, a bit dry early on when you first start getting into those but there is so much good information out there it's coming from a, a, from a science a sports science perspective as opposed to just hearing it from someone else and you've actually got some some facts behind that 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 paper so to speak and it just makes such a difference when you've got the sports science behind it I think it's important that we get past the, the anecdotal stuff has been passed down from generation to generation, and actually put some sports science behind our coaching. Because so I think that that's a really powerful answer. I I, I appreciate you saying that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So some plugs. Let's uh some handles so people people can find you. Some links. Um. Where can yeah. people find you on social media?
1: Yeah. So you can find um. So follow the Women's Coaching Association. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. So you know, we have our largest following on LinkedIn, um, which is, you know, you wouldn't think that, but we do. Uh, we're also on Facebook as well and Instagram. So, you know, usually under the handle coaching underscore women's, but usually if you just type in women's coaching association, you'll be able to find us. We're um, also going to be setting up a, like a Australian sport foundation page. So if anyone would like to You know donate to for us to create resources for sports clubs and also provide mentoring um, uh, programs and support for sports uh, clubs associations feel free to uh, donate to that Um, we also are selling diaries so coaching uh, diaries so if you need something to you know as a gift to give to another coach or use as a coach uh, feel free to get one of those on our website Um, and yeah myself so um i also have i'm very much um yeah on all these social media platforms as well so please make sure you follow or connect with me on either you know twitter linkedin um yeah that'd be great
0: I'll put some links in the show notes to everybody so they can find you and definitely worth a follow. Lots of good information coming out of all those sources. Um, there's so much good stuff out there as a coach you can access and start the conversation and continue to, to share ideas and continue to, to grow this space. Cause I think it, it'll, it'll it, it certainly has to grow and it's only growing. So I think that's really cool. So thank you so much for your time, Aisha. I Really appreciate you coming in. Um, as I said, some stranger hit you up on social media to come and talk on my podcast and you, you were, generous to come out and have a chat to me today i really appreciate it and such a cool conversation and we're definitely going to be doing a part two once your phd is published (laughs) and out there so i'll be keeping in touch and we'll get you back on again really really soon
1: awesome thanks so much friend. really enjoyed it